Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Kathy Curto. She teaches at Sarah Lawrence College, the Writing Institute, Montclair University, and the Writers Circle, as well as several nonprofit organizations and community centers in the metropolitan area. She is the author of Not For Nothing, Glimpses Into a Jersey Girlhood. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, on NPR, in the anthology Listen to Your Mother, What She Said Then, What We're Saying Now, and in O, Reader, Barrel House, The Mom Egg Review, Drift, and Talking Writing, among others. Kathy Penn's A Writer Die Tribe bi-weekly column, Words on the Street Revisited, where she explores everyday language and the writing practice. Her micro-memoir, Still Cooking Side by Side, considered a modern love in miniature by the New York Times, was included in the Best of Tiny Love Stories in August 2021. Kathy lives with her family in the Hudson Valley. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Ronit. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to hear your voice again. We had a hug at AWP, which was so great. Yes, and for anyone listening who does not know what that stands for, it's the Association of Writing Programs Conference. And I was in Philly, which which mm-hmm. was just a drive away for you, right? Yeah. No, we. Yep, it was close. Next, actually, <laughs> next year will be close for you, but far from me, right? Are you gonna go? I think so. I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It was super fun because I was strolling through the book fair and looking mm-hmm. at all the tables and then you you called me and I was like oh my gosh it's Kathy because when you interact on social media and on Facebook you kind of feel like you know someone and by the time I heard your voice even today again I was like oh I feel like we've always talked yep exactly I feel that way too I feel that way too and and I do want to thank you for inviting me to be on today and and just say that our as I said earlier our connection is really one of my favorite social media kind of tech stories, you know, I mean, social media is not always, always pleasant, but this was a nice connection that we, you know, we found each other through tiny love stories. And, um, and it was really a it was that was a great day when when we made that connection. I was really happy and still am. I know it's really sweet. Yeah, especially because, you know, I'm an East Coaster who's transplanted over here to the West Coast. So especially when I have a connection with someone who is, you know, I'm doing something similar to but I my my route to this writing and to this life that I that I have now is so different. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. were doing it longer, you know, much longer before me, but we're both from the East Coast. And I just feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of intersection there. Oh, there's um, so much intersection. <laughs> and I know I'm not Italian, but I feel like I was really excited to read your memoir because I'm, you know, Jewish American, but I always feel there's like overlap there, the the kind of New York Italian slash Jewish type of thing. Tons of overlap, tons of overlap. I see it all the time with my <laughs> students, with colleagues. It's it's a it's actually really it's a really nice thing. It's a really nice experience when you can be like, oh, that happened. I'm from a completely different background, but that same impulse yes. or that same tendency is there. Yep. Yes, I, I don't told- really get a lot of that in Seattle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, if I do go in March, it will be my first time in Seattle. So we'll have to have okay, a coffee or a drink and get together. I would love to. I would love yeah. to. I would love for you to share a little bit about your memoir, Not For Nothing. Okay. Yeah. So... The memoir, it's kind of like, you know, when people say, what is your book about? Or tell me about your book. I, I, I've i oftentimes said it's a, it's a beautiful but big, big question, right? It's definitely, you know, the collection, the book is something that still, I feel like, teaches me. It's structured as, as a collection of glimpses from a very specific period of time in my life. 
And I did, I have to say, I did, you know, maybe not when I first started it, but I, I knew that I was only going to be focusing on a handful of years. It was not my intention to, to write out from, from that, from that sort of container, as we sometimes use that, that term Mm. in the classroom. So it's a specific period of time in my girlhood. It's, it's a project, you know, not for nothing took me a long time to write and to complete. And in many ways, I, I, I think, and I tell my students this, I tell myself this a lot, it's, it's still living and breathing in my life. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you know, this feeling like you, you finish a book project, you know, especially a memoir, it's like, okay, it's done. And initially, there was a thought that like, okay, it's done with a capital D. But Mm. for me, at least I'm learning, you know, now, I mean, the book was published in 2018. So a handful of years out, like, it's still living and breathing, you know, it's the stories are still alive. I still think I reimagine them, I think about them. So and that's kind of weird and beautiful, you know, but but that's also part of part of part of the book, like it, it, it hopefully, and we could talk about this more, I guess, mm. but hopefully, you know, it is that kind of paradox, right? The tender and the tough, the, mm-hmm. the beautiful and the difficult. So yeah, it's in, in the shortest answer, which I didn't just provide to you is that it's a pretty short collection of, of, you know, micro essays short, it's considered like, I do think it's considered, you know, a, a book of, of short glimpses. Mm-hmm. And it runs, you know, it, it, it runs from a specific period of time from about, you know, from the early 70s to the late 80s. And it's a specific period of time in my childhood, where lots of stuff was going on. Yeah. Had you seen any kind of memoir like this in this kind of glimpse format? before you wrote yours? In some ways I have, and maybe they weren't, well, in some cases they, they strictly were not defined as memoir, but I did use some writers approaches as kind of models, I guess. So one, and I mentioned, I mentioned her book in my kind of intro. And then at the end, you know, the house on mango street, which is a novel, but was very much in my view, like very short chapters, glimpses of this experience in, you know, in this young girl's life and, and transition. Um, so I use that book in many ways. I mean, that book, I, I feel like freed me to mm. sort of keep my chapter short and really be very mm-hmm. kind of scene driven. There's also a beautiful memoir called Safekeeping, which is very short, sort of glimpse-like. And that was something that I, I used too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I love to read and I love to turn to reading when I get stuck, which I did a lot of getting stuck mm. <laughs> in the time that I was writing. So, so yes, I did see it, but I didn't see it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually, I think we should just dive in. I'd love for you to read that section we talked about, which is, it's funny because it's toward the very end. I mean, I think it's actually mm-hmm. the end of your memoir, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it it gives anything away that would uh, affect someone's mm-hmm. enjoyment of the book. I just think it's a really nice way to demonstrate sort of what your style is in the memoir. So whenever you're ready, that would be great for you to read from that. Yeah. So this is the last section of the book. And and I'll just kind of, I'll contextualize just a bit. And this took me a long time also. I I decided to separate the book into three parts. So the first part is called Now. The second part is called Then. And then the third part is called One More Thing About Now. And that's what I'll be reading for you and your listeners, Roni. And that is just to say like the first, it's really just in terms of, of what that looks like. It's like, now is a few, maybe three pages, then is a, a ton, you know, a whole bunch of pages, like 140 pages. And 
And one more thing about now is a couple of pages. So that gives mm -hmm. you an idea of the, where the, the, the bulk of the stories lie. So yes, this is, um, this is from the section called One More Thing About Now. Stay together, my mother said to us over and over and over again. Now, as my sisters, Lucy and Maria, and my brother Jack and I tackle and take on life, motherless and fatherless, with children and grandchildren of our own, I'm so glad she never stopped repeating that phrase over and over again. Stay together. I know they have their own truths, their own understandings of what these memories, these years, these dramas hold, and I honor that. So, as with most stories, this is not the whole story. It's just part of it. My part. Which brings me to the handful of hallelujahs uttered on that day, deep into the writing of this collection. I realized there was no way in hell I could write the whole story, even if I tried. And come to think of it, I did try. That's what got me into trouble. That's a little of what made me want to run and hide when kind, curious souls asked, so what's your manuscript about anyway? What's the story? Again, I wanted to answer. Nothing came out. So I did what came natural when I was a young girl in the years illustrated in this book. I eavesdropped, but this time mostly on myself, past, present, and future. I wondered, but this time mostly about the ferocity of both love and forgiveness. I was still on the receiving end of rhetorical questions, but with both of my parents deceased, I was the one left asking. Happy now? Satisfied? Are you finished? Who do you think you are? I traipsed into the memories again and paid very close attention to what I thought mattered, what stuck to the walls of my girl-woman consciousness of today. I dug deeper lingering on the tiny, ordinary recollections of my family, home, culture, and identity, what Sandra Cisneros calls the jar of buttons. Some answers never materialized, but in time, some surfaced. Never did I think they would appear as they did in things like hairdos, boyfriends, pots of macaroni, sock and underwear drawers, and dirty fingernails. And never did I imagine the strange potion of reconciliation, comfort, and acceptance that can rise and purify when offered time and space to remember without judgment. Magic. Which particular snapshots I reimagined on these pages was not a deliberate decision. The memories were and still are haphazard and curious to me. In many ways, the collection was always there, my very own jar of buttons. What was deliberate was this, though the tossing of these memories without analysis and cycle babble. I unscrewed the cap and spilled the buttons, but this time, instead of trying to clean up the spill, the mess, the everything, I honored where they landed and worked from there, and there took me to here, home. Thank you. Thank you. I just knew that I would love listening to you read that, and um, I just sat back and, and heard your voice and, and thought a lot about this idea of collecting different snapshots. And I, I want to talk about, you said that it took you a while for this. And I'm curious when you knew and had faith that this could hold, hold its own 
And what was the editing process like? And did you find people who read it and understood what you were trying to achieve? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, and I love that you also included um, that part at the end, which is the people. <laughs> the pe mm -hmm. Our people, the people, our mm. communities, which are so essential. Uh, so the short answer to that last part is, is yes, I did find people to read it and, and help me with some of the challenges that I felt were in front of me with this structure. Um, just going back a little, just giving a little bit of the history. Um, in 2005, my kids were all pretty young still. Um, they were 11, 9, 7, and 5. And I think at that point in my life, I was still, um, you know, I mentioned in, in the part that I just read about my parents both being deceased. I mean, at that point in my life, I was still sort of experiencing the acute grief from from mm. the loss from their loss from losing both of them um, my mom passed away very suddenly and very unexpectedly and way too young in I'm 98 so sorry. yeah and then my dad in in 2003 so there was a block of time in between the two of them i haven't even like worked this through and probably will spend the rest of my life doing that but like certainly the intersection between losing my parents having young children trying to still figure, you know, be figuring myself out still as I think I, I will be for, for a very long time. <laughs> like all those things sort of intersected. And where I landed was a writing class. Uh, I had been writing, uh, you know, I, I wrote as a child, I have all my diaries, I've, I've always turned to the page. So I, I landed in a, in a writing class, actually, kind of quite beautifully in the place that I now teach at, which is mm -hmm. kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. And in that workshop, in one of the first classes, the instructor, you know, said what I say so often to my students is here's a prompt, write, you know, think of your earliest memory. And my earliest memory was, in fact, the first the first one, the first chapter of the, the the second part of the book, which is those the first glimpse, really. And I wrote it down. And from that point, and that was again in 2005. Now the mm -hmm. book was published in 2018. So your listeners can do the math, which I've done many, many times. Um, so but really, it was it was really, I think, a, that collision of realities in my life, like, all of those and just being in that place and allowing myself and giving myself that time and having obviously a supportive community around me, my family included, but particularly at, in that writing community to just write in whatever form I wanted to. So I went right to that first memory. I wrote it in the first person, in the present tense. And that, that sort of, it just kind of unlocked something. And I just kept writing those kinds of vignettes through the years. Uh, and they were really just, and sometimes they were not in order. They were not chronological. They were just, you know, pieces of my personal history, pieces of my um, of memory that just were had more staying power. They were mm -hmm. things that had never dislodged. Mm -hmm. And I just wrote them in that form. And that's kind of how it started. And I kept with it. I kept with the style, with the approach. I worked on it for over a decade. Um, I, I actually made the decision to go for an MFA in the midst of that, you know, I was I was teaching um, sociology actually because I I've I've done I've had had a different career prior to this as a mm -hmm. as a social worker and a sociology professor. So always interested in again more intersections like that was no big surprise. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, so I went uh, and I used the, the the collection that I had started in the writing workshop. I used um, and continued to work on through the MFA program. Yeah, so slow process, slow process. Did you ever feel tempted, coerced, or pressure to change your structure to to 
you know, mold into one of those more typical memoir structures, you know, story arc wise? Absolutely. I told, absolutely. I mean, I, I did. And you know what, Roni, the, the, the truest answer is that I sometimes still do. And I say that without regret, regret, like I think about that, you know, I made a very specific choice to put this body of work into the world in this particular way. I wavered, I tried different, you know, I certainly, I tried different things. I, 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 talked with many different people about connective tissue and the importance mm. of it and reflective voice throughout. I mean, I know these things, you know, and for, and I kind of, and this is probably in part why it took over a decade to, to, for me to feel ready and, and to complete it. But I knew for this particular body of work, uh, I wanted it to be in this particular form and I kind of, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, I kind of stood by that. And mm -hmm. um, so yes, but that was definitely a challenge. I mean, the connective tissue piece, um, and and wondering whether I should have more reflection in between my chapters, whether I needed a more reflective adult voice, you know, clear and present there throughout was always on my mind. Well, it was on my mind for a very long time at, throughout, you know, the time of writing it. And, and it was agonizing, but I've come to realize that that's actually what needed to happen. I needed to work that through. Mm, to let the reflective adult voice filter in through the story? I, I think for me, I, I well, t it's twofold. To allow the reflective voice to be there in a way that felt right to me. Right. Obviously, the first two chapter, the first two parts are purely reflective and purely like, me speaking directly kind of to the reader mm -hmm. and saying, you know, in the beginning, like sort of saying, here's a heads up. And at the end sort of saying, and this is where I am with this. Mm -hmm. But in the middle, I was, I just, I felt very attached and at home really with um, having it be, let me just take you there. Let me just mm -hmm. come with me, come with me to, you know, this place, smell this these smells, you know, feel what I'm feeling like it's, and again, this is another piece to the memoir, really to any genre, I guess, but the sensory, you know, how mm -hmm. important the sensory is. So that was a decision that I made. I was challenged by it throughout. But again, the readers and the people in my life challenged me to, to try different things, but then also, you know, we're very good about saying like, you've got to go with what feels right. Mm -hmm. Which is empowering and reassuring I think when you're feeling your way through a project to know that it's okay there's room for your structure and your vision yeah you know here yeah, absolutely and, you know your the culture in your family as well as your Italian American background you know but it's very palpable in your manuscript and I'm wondering about the toll of any writing about the emotional physical violence in your home exacted on you I mean there is no doubt that this, I mean, writing this, remembering some of this, not all of it, I mean, mm -hmm. but remembering a lot of it meant, um, you know, mining, digging, dusting off, mm -hmm. um, a lot of stuff. And, and, and a good, I mean, a part of that was really tough stuff, right? Mm -hmm. For me, and maybe not for all writers of this genre, it meant some hard conversations with my siblings, as well as with myself. And I had to kind of calibrate 
how much I wanted or needed to talk about this while I was writing it, after I was writing it, both with myself and my siblings. The process generated pain, but it also generated pleasure. And I, and I, you know, I may not have said that like in the thick of it or on the toughest days in the middle of, of writing it, but I, I certainly can say it now. Like I have come to see, and not just with my work, like I, I've come to see, you know, obviously the beauty and pleasure in writing, even the hard stuff, even mm -hmm. in some of the most beautiful memoirs that I read or students that are writing memoir. I mean, there is, there are these, these glances toward beauty, even in the midst of some of the hardest experiences. And sometimes you need time and sometimes you need disconnect. To, mm -hmm. to see that. And sometimes, by the way, it doesn't, it's never seen. And I get that too. Like, I want to be clear about that. Um, so there was both sadness, you know, not only because I remembered the hard times, but also because I was missing my parents. So there was, mm -hmm. there was sadness, you know, in the process of writing it. Um, but I think that the, the missing them and the bringing them to the pages offered some of that beauty and tenderness too. So I'm, I'm talking a lot in like back and forth and holding two things in our hand at one time. I'm, I'm, I guess you're, you're hearing that because yeah. that's, that's usually how I roll. And I, I think I've come to, <laughs> I, I've come to realize that that is kind of what can, I don't know. It's just a, it's, it's, it's sort of a, mon maybe not a mantra, but it's sort of a way that I need to think about a lot of things and not just writing. Like we can have two very opposing things in our hands at the same time and, and function, you know, and be moving through that. Um, and this book really helped me and continues to help me realize that we hear a lot about writers going to the page to figure something out that might be confusing or unclear to them. I do this and I understand that, you know, I mm -hmm. do this a lot too. Um, but I think the cool thing is that when we can go to the page and yes, see things more clearly, but that they also can still be imperfect. Mm -hmm. And that can still be like a really amazing story like we can we can we can see the the shiny parts that maybe weren't shiny before or that weren't clear or crystal to us but things can still sort of be a mess and it's it's still a, a story that resonates or it's still a story that has power um i think there's there's something about the acceptance of imperfection in all of this that i'm still learning about it for myself and also as a writer, but also as a woman and, and as a, you know, and as a, just a human being. So those are the, that's the good days. Like the, it's the good days <laughs> when all of, when all of that intersects so beautifully, those are the good days. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm curious about, you, you did mention your family and siblings and there is an interesting quality to your book because I feel like while it's violent and hard to watch, to, to be a witness to, some of what you you know dealt with in terms of um the volatility there's also affection for this mm -hmm. time right like the mm -hmm. affection which is strange right like i'm not saying that you have dear memories of the the turmoil that you mm -hmm. experienced mm -hmm. but yet you're definitely dropping the reader into it because you're you're looking at it all and so i can almost feel how you're torn about yeah. it yeah, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you noticing that. And I appreciate how um, sort of deeply you 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 read it and, and what you come out of it with, you know, having having paid attention to it like that. I really appreciate that, Ronit. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that that 
and I mean, this, this is actually a little bit, I guess, about intention and intentionality and, and also about time and distance. You know, I think that was an important thing for me. And let me be clear, it wasn't that I, and obviously you read the book and you saw, it's not like this book necessarily makes nice or, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't about wanting to like make something look nice that wasn't. It, it was about recognizing and being able to see that there were really dark times and there were really poor decisions mm -hmm. and poor behavior made by a, a lot of people, myself included, in, in the book. But that doesn't mean that beauty didn't exist in the midst of it, or it doesn't mean that there wasn't, you know, that there wasn't like connection and love and compassion and protection. And so it's, 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 you know, I use the term a lot in the book, like a mess, like it in, in many ways, it is a kind of a big mess, but mm -hmm. the mess doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that I wasn't able to find, find something in that or mm -hmm. to, to locate beauty mm -hmm. and pleasure and mm -hmm. love. You know, you teach in so many different venues and, and I'm not sure about the ages, you know, the types of people you're teaching, but uh, is there a genre you particularly enjoy working on with your students? And also what aspects of writing do you find that your students um, seem to think are more challenging? You know, I'm curious, I wanted to ask you by sort of like uh, demographics or generation you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what you notice in your students, but I don't mm -hmm. know that I can ask that because I'm not sure if there's a wide range in terms of mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. and stuff, mm -hmm. but as a teacher for so long now, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, when you began teaching and what you discover through teaching. Thank you for that question. I, so I, I can say happily uh, that I do teach a wide range and that is a very, that's something that I, I, kind of again intention like I strive to keep that range as wide as possible like that's very important to me as a as a teacher but also just as a person to allow to get to 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 give myself the opportunity to be in spaces with groups that are not all the same so that but that also means a lot of buzzing around from campus to campus and a lot of car <laughs> time um, and a lot of sort of cutting and pasting work and being a teaching artist and a freelancer and a adjunct and a professor and all, you know, it's just my semesters are all different, which it, for the most part, that's actually the buzzing works for me. So I, I think, so in terms of, of what I, I love to teach and what I find I teach in almost all of my classes is like a, I like to at the very least give my students, even if we're in the college classroom working on like creative nonfiction, longer pieces, I still like to give my students the opportunity to, to work in the flash kind of form, because again, it offers a chance to get right to the heat, to get right to, you know, to use our senses, to sort of really think about the words that matter, to be economical, to get in and get out. It's, I mean, you and I met through the tiny love story, right? So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. It's, it's I do love much, flash. I really do. Yeah. It's very much like that. And, and I mean, I'm in the midst of an, an amazing novel right now, so it's not like that's all I 
care about or that's all I do or appreciate. But in terms of what where I like to go with students together collectively, um, that can be a, that's a great form. Um, and I do that across the board. I teach um, in answer to your question. I mean, I teach college students in a big state university. So it, and I'm teaching creative nonfiction now, but I've taught intro to college writing. Um, you know, I've taught writing about literature, um, lots of different kind of theme classes in that kind of a setting. And that's mm -hmm. a it's at Montclair State University. So it's a big state school in New Jersey um, and diverse in many different ways there. And then I also teach in writing workshops in various communities. Um, and so the ages in those communities, I mean, typically they're, um, you know, they're for adult students and a lot of times not always but a lot of times you'll be working with people who are making a change of some sort so maybe mm -hmm. it's a career change maybe it's in the middle of their life but not always could be you know at different points in their lives i also do at times i like to be exposed to to young children as well in terms of the way that they think about creativity, the way that they tell a story. So as a teaching artist, I will also go into classrooms, you know, anywhere from like second grade to high school, but I usually stay around the middle school age. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And and do that kind of flash work even there too. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a pretty good way to have them create something in real time or mm -hmm. to edit something and to get across what you're trying to teach in a container of time that's, you know, short yes like it's absolutely. perfect that way absolutely so uh, before as we start to you know wind down I'm curious I, I really want to know how you discovered your voice your writing voice how you realized okay you know this is kind of what I'm working with and you know leaned into it so well I guess I mean I'm still discovering my voice <laughs> it's, I'm still discovering it and still mm -hmm. and and hoping that I always am, you know, aware of it potentially, you know, have just new discoveries with, with my voice and where I can go on the page, um, where I feel most at home. And then also where I, where I feel a little discomfort, which can be very helpful to know, because mm -hmm. then it's like a way to potentially challenge myself or even just wonder like, why is that uncomfortable? You know, mm -hmm. where, what is that about? So I'm still discovering it, but in terms of like, sort of a little bit about the history. I mean, I wrote as a kid always. I mean, I, I have my diaries from when I was like eight or nine years old and they're hilarious and <laughs> and heartbreaking and, you know, everything in between to read. And some of them are like, you know, the classic early 70s, like Sunset, Hallmark, kind of with the key. Others, like there's a Holly Hobby one in there. I mean, they're- I was um, just saying, I totally was imagining yeah, Holly I mean, Hobby. This is, I mean, you can, uh, you can only imagine. I mean, they're very much of the time period. Um, and then what, so I, I wrote as a child uh, in, a, in a very, by the way, I should say, and the diary may or may not have sort of suggested this, but in a very sort of secretive way, like writing as a child for me was very secretive. And, and I think it, we, we were also, I was living at a time which kind of plays into this where like the passing of notes in class was also a big thing. So I think that kind of played into it, you know, the writing down of your, your thoughts and feelings in a lot of ways, like was kind of scandalous, I guess, but I love like that's there's, and I still hold on to that because my writing is, is like my, like, it's very, you know, it's like, it's like mine. Yes. And, and that's, I, I've talked to other writers like 
who who feel this way and it's hard to articulate but there's something i'm very possessive of it in many ways so that was so writing as a kid and then when i got to college um and my the college i went to was actually sort of a happy accident um in that i was headed to a big school you know out in philly and i wound up going to a very very small liberal arts school in new york that just came to me through like my guidance counselor and I was able to get a scholarship. I mean, it was not on my radar. I've said this many times Hmm. and it really was a place that, you know, I think really, well, I know, I don't think I know like nourished and fortified my writing voice. Mm -hmm. I met professors who gave me permission to write and explore creatively. And, you know, I think, as I said, I mean, I think from there, you know, life sort of did take many twists and turns. I can't say that like, I, I left, you know, I can't say that I graduated from college, became a teacher and the rest is history. It, it's not, it doesn't go like that mm-hmm. at all. Like there were many, there were detours and twists and turns and there was time, you know, mothering in a way that was, you know, very 24 seven and still is 24. I mean, mothering is 24 mm-hmm. seven. And I say that even for people, by the way, cause I've, I've met, I've met a number of people who mother in a different way, you know, their, their mothering tendencies or who they mother or what they mother is not necessarily, you know, their children in a mm-hmm. home or their children. I just think that was and still is a big part of my life. But the the point is that from graduating from college to now, and even before, as I said, I've always written and the and the page was always a place I turned to. Mm-hmm. And so I I still am finding my voice. I, mm-hmm. I still am. I'm open to it. I mean, there are times where I've I feel like I, oh yeah, that's it. You got it. There it is. There she is. She's right there. And then there are other times where I'm like, "Mm, I got to put this down and go take a walk because this isn't working. (laughs) This isn't working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you have advice you would, you would share like some advice you would share to memoirists or or would be memoirists? Uh, I think that, well, in keeping with the the theme of place in my book, you know, a lot of my book, as you know, takes place on the Jersey Shore. And a lot of the Jersey Shore is about boardwalk life and being on a boardwalk in a kind of a way that people think of. I mean, everybody thinks of it differently, but I'll just say that, you know, in my in my thinking of it, it involves rides and stands and prizes and that sort of thing. So if we think about entering into the act of putting memories down onto blank pages, writing a memoir, or whatever you want to call it, a collection of memories. Um, Because sometimes people get like very nervous with labels, like, I don't know if I'm writing a memoir. I'll say to my students, and I say to myself, don't worry about what we're going to call it right now. You know, just be true to yourself in terms of the genre and and the material you're working with. But don't worry about what you're going to call it. But in, I, I guess I'd say think of it like a carnival, right? Or like being on the boardwalk. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to go really high and really low, and that will happen, like it did for me. I mean, emotionally, as as you had asked before, so sort of compassionately, like emotionally, what was it like? I mean, emotionally, it can be a, a really high ride, and then you're going to have some low points. There's definitely shiny parts. There's prizes, but there's also <laughs> like really, there's hauntings, you know? There's darkness, too. Um, like we have, you know, in that, you know, to really stretch the metaphor, you know, in that carnival (laughs) kind of environment, right? I mean, there's, there really is all of it. There's all of it. And so just kind of to know that, 
and 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 to know that going in and know it can be scary and it can be delightful just knowing that and then also arming yourself or or sort of giving yourself um, a community or finding a community of people who can help you through and and walk with you in those times you know and it doesn't have to be a huge community it doesn't have to be like you know i mean it can be a small group or it can be just a couple of people but i do think that can be helpful you know because oftentimes not every not all the time but you know, oftentimes the people in our intimate lives are not necessarily all writers, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's yeah. so you well, hopefully, can, right? <laughs> that right. would be a little bit daunting. <laughs> that would be a little, that would be a lot. I mean, I know myself, like my family, you know, there's a lot of diversity in both my husband's family and my family in terms of what people do and the choices they've made in creative ways, in professional ways. And, you know, and so I just think that it can be helpful to have that that group of people who you see as kind of your your community, the people who sort of hold you up and have your back. Now, you mentioned two books already. Are there any other, and I've written them down, and I'll put them in the show notes, but are there any other memoirs you turn to or that you recommend? I turn to a lot. I've always been, I mean, you know, I know why the caged bird sings is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I just reread that. I've reread that several times. Maya Angelou is a favorite of mine. Uh, just across the board. I love Mary Carr's work. I love, I love, you know, I love the three memoirs that she wrote. And then she's also written poetry. I mean, I do, I do love her work. This Boy's Life, Tobias Wolf, yeah. Heavy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I read Heavy by K.A.C. Lehman and I teach excerpts from Heavy. I actually just um, included it in a scholarly article that I wrote with a few other colleagues and friends. Ordinary Girls, I read last year and used excerpts from that in my class as well. I loved that book, Jakira Diaz. Yeah, so, you know, I, I there was a point in time where I was reading only memoir, and I've deviated from that a bit. I'm reading, I, I actually was saying to somebody, I have not, re- I've read more poetry in the last three to four years than I read in all of my life. I mean, and mm-hmm. that's just happening completely organically. Nobody's giving, nobody's telling me to. It's happening organically. And I think it's actually happening in many ways. I haven't, I don't know this for sure, but I think it might be happening because as an instructor and well, twofold as an instructor, I feel like sometimes giving just tiny little, you know, lines can be really helpful to students. And then also I think the way of the world right now, poetry is, is holding me up. In in ways yeah. that never, never, I never, I didn't turn to poetry in the way that I am now. So maybe it has to do with my age. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it has to do with the point that I'm at in my life or the kind of things, the kinds of literature I'm interested in or what my needs are. But yeah. I'm with you. I, I started learning more about poetry when I got my master's for, you know, nonfiction. And now I read it and I'm trying some of my own and I didn't, I never saw that coming. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It's really cool when it happens like that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's, I thought it was out of my reach and that I wouldn't be able to understand it and I'm still learning, but it's a lovely, a lovely thing to attempt, like a lovely genre to try. So Kathy, where is the best place for people to find your work and to follow you and find you? So I have a website, kathycurdo.com has all of my links to pieces that I've written and to my, my social I'm on um, Instagram primarily um, at uh, kathy.curdo and also on Facebook as well. Uh, But again, my website pretty much has um, everything that you need. And there's a contact, of course, there's a contact option there if people want to, you know, 
be in touch for one reason or another about anything that I've said, or, you know, certainly I welcome it. I'm, I'm, I'm all about as, as you know, Ronit, because that's how we connected, <laughs> you know, the kind of, um, you know, just reach out and see if, if, you know, just really to, that's the other thing too, writing and, and sharing experiences about writing with other people who do, who do it, or even with readers has really opened it's, it's, it's very much an opening experience. It kind of can, can tap at your heart because when you hear what people feel or, or think when they read something that you've written or to tell someone what you think or feel when you read something that they've written, it's, a, it's kind of a very intimate exchange. Yeah, and I, really and I just feel really, really like I need that in my life, especially now. I mean, mm -hmm. I have an amazing family. You know, I'm learning all the time about all different things from my own children. Um, and I do also think that that can extend out too to people who have that kind of exchange artistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I feel like, you know, this, this privacy, this intimacy with writing is so needed. I, I look toward it too. I, I have felt that way about writing too. That is what you were speaking about earlier, that it's for me and it's kind of private in that diary way. But then when something does affect you or when you've affected someone, to hear that, you know, you touch someone or something moved you is just, it's just another layer of kind of gratitude and affirmation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Thank you so much for being my guest. I loved talking with you. Rooney, thank you so much for having me. And I do hope to see you at some point in Seattle as well. <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.